Well, it's Matt Kirkner, your host this week and every week for the Tech Ed Podcast. I want to begin today with a question for our audience. Have you ever ridden in a self-driving vehicle? Have you ever ridden in an autonomous vehicle? My answer to that question until about three months ago was no. And then I had an opportunity to ride in what is called the Badger. It is a self-driving vehicle, an autonomous vehicle that travels around the streets of Racine, Wisconsin, and it literally drives itself. Nobody is operating the vehicle using smart sensor technology, artificial intelligence, machine learning. The vehicle follows traffic signs, traffic signals. It avoids pedestrians. It stops when a car is coming and it's supposed to stop. All the things that we would do as people when we're operating our vehicle, that autonomous vehicle did as well. And I'll be honest with you, I was blown away by that experience. Would you believe that Elon Musk just a few short months ago himself said that within 10 years, we will not be able to buy a new vehicle that doesn't drive itself? Every single vehicle we buy 10 years from now, according to Musk, will be self-driving. And when we think about that future, when we think about the way technology is evolving, that kind of blows our mind. And I can tell you that when I share that story with people, a lot of people roll their eyes and say, yeah, right. You know, it's kind of the same way they rolled their eyes 10 years ago when people were talking about, I don't know, a rocket ship that would blast itself off into space and then be able to land back on the same launch pad or another launch pad in reverse so that it could be used again. We all know that Elon Musk and SpaceX figured out a way to do that. Whether or not this prediction about self-driving cars 10 years from now is true or not, we live in an amazing world and an amazing era of advancing technology. We are going to talk all about that technology today by somebody who is an expert in so many of these areas. My guest today is Dr. David Noyce. If you don't know David, he is the Executive Associate Dean of the University of Wisconsin-Madison College of Engineering. I've had an opportunity to spend time with Dr. Noyce and his team over the course of the last several months, seeing all the amazing work that they are doing at UW-Madison. This promises to be a really, really fantastic episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. And with that, Dr. David Noyce, it is a pleasure to welcome you aboard. Thank you. Appreciate that. Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. So one of the things we love talking about at the Tech Ed Podcast is people's story. Uh, People who know me well know that one of my first questions for people is, where are you from? What did you do? How did you get to where you are? So let's start with a question around your passions and your interests, David. What first drew you to transportation engineering and research? Well, thanks for that question, Matt. So we all have a history, right? A story of how we got to, to where we are. And mine is really a couple of different things. One is I grew up in my teenage years and days as a musician. I traveled all over the country as part of the Madison Scouts Drum and Bugle Corps. And I, I really became to have a, a love for being on the road, so to speak. And at the same time, my, my, my father was a career Air Force, so I had a military family. You know, so I was around aviation quite a bit. And the, the combination of things when I came to the University of Wisconsin in Madison led me into civil engineering and in the broad area of transportation and all the wonderful things that, that are part of that. So it's the combination of life experiences and then my experience at the university 
so that I found transportation is the career I wanted to have. You know, I, I had last year, 2021, Laura Kohler, who is the vice president of Kohler Company, a very well-recognized, iconic brand in its space on. And we talked all about the convergence of art and engineering and art and technology and art and manufacturing. And, you know, it just amazes me sometimes talking to, to somebody like you, David, who had a background in music. And they're really, when you think about it, when you think I'm a musician too, kind of a closet musician from years ago, I played in a jazz band in high school, played the tenor saxophone. There's a lot of commonality, actually, that people may not recognize between music and engineering and music and programming and coding. It's just amazing how these things cross over. So interesting that that is part of your story. I'll admit that I did not know that, but just this incredible fascination that you have now with transportation. I want to dive into that a little bit more to help our audience understand how quickly transportation technology is advancing. And let's kind of keep this at 30,000 feet, but compare your research focus when you began at UW-Madison now 20 years ago with the kind of work that you and your team are doing today. Well, I'll tell you, man, I mean, some things don't change, right? So so there, there's some things, and for example, you know, we were the developers and implemented the flashing yellow arrow signal that you see now, signalized intersections for left turns. And we still work on that topic. I started working on that in in 1995, and we're still doing research today. So the fundamentals of traffic engineering really haven't changed. But clearly what's changed in the 20 years now is the influx of the technology, you know, a bit of what you talked about at your introduction. You know, as technology and developers and others look to move forward in terms of transportation and how we're looking at connected vehicles and the opportunity to have this autonomous vehicle on the roadway, all the data flow and technology that goes along with that, Clearly, that's where we have to focus our energies on now at the university, and the, the transportation community is pretty much all centered around how do we make the system ultimately work. It is incredible how that technology is advancing and how your research, which you know some of which I was able to get a bird's eye view into when we were together a couple short weeks ago from the flashing yellow light, right, which was advanced in its own way, right, in terms of changing traffic patterns and in terms of improving efficiency, improving safety on the road to now all this amazing technology, artificial intelligence, machine learning, connected system sensors, self-driving vehicles. It is, as we said in the introduction, an amazing era in which we live. Now, in addition to being the executive associate dean at UW-Madison, you're the director of the Traffic Operations and Safety Laboratory called TOPS, which has become recognized as a leading transportation research institute literally across the United States. So what types of research are you doing at TOPS? Yeah, thank you for that. So the TOPS lab is approaching 20 years. So it's something I started when, when I came to the University of Wisconsin in Madison and extremely proud of the long life of a research lab. Many times research labs don't last that long, but we, we've been very fortunate to keep everything going. Based on its name, traffic operations and safety, that's been our theme throughout and part of the core research area that I've been focused on. But I will tell you, we have 40 people now involved with the TOPS lab, from faculty members like myself to full-time research staff to the graduate students and undergraduate students that are involved in the lab. So needless to say, we've expanded to many different research areas and really every area of transportation, we have something that we're looking at to help move research forward. But let me just quickly mention a couple of what I think our key strengths are. So we have a data center. We have something we call the Wisconsin Transportal which is home to many different types of transportation data systems. And that's really the key foundation to a lot of what we do within our lab research. But we, we're looking at all elements of safety, what we can do to reduce the number of fatalities and, and injuries on a roadway system. We're looking at operational improvements, how do we make the system more efficient? We think about 
introducing technology to the roadway. And we, we have a, a demonstration roadway just off campus here where we've loaded the roadway with technology and sensors and detectors and see how that will allow vehicles to communicate in the future. And obviously we work with our, our local city, county, state governments and our departments of transportation to help move their agendas forward as well. You're right. Data is changing literally every aspect of life. It doesn't matter what space we're in. Quite honestly, it doesn't matter what guests we have on the podcast and what types of research or what uh, what innovation, what business they're running. Everybody is kind of fascinated with data. And in your world, this isn't anything new, right? Going all the way back 20 years that, that your team has been working on some of these emerging technologies and, and being a part of bringing those amazing technologies to life and putting them into practice in the way that we operate on the roadways and the way that we drive safely and so on. I'm also impressed by the number of partnerships that you have. As as you mentioned, nothing that you do operates in a vacuum. You're working closely with state government officials, with local government officials. As you look at traffic patterns, as you look at, again, driving safely, as you look at creating the roadways of the future. So just really, really interesting research that you're doing with the TOPS program. Now, as if being the director of traffic operations and safety laboratory wasn't enough, as if being an executive associate dean wasn't enough, you're also the associate director of the safety research using simulation, uh, also known as Safer Sim Center. Tell us about this really high-tech simulator, the Safer Sim and the research that you're doing with it. I'll mention again the, this flash yellow arrow concept very quickly because that, that was the basis for how I got into driving simulation. And we or I were, were, were the first to really see how we could link driving simulation and, and putting people in a full-scale driving simulator and then correlate that to some of the safety and operations and technology advances we were trying to make as we used our research. So that led me to include human factors and human behavior as a key part of all the research that I was involved with. And and as you know, we now have a full-scale driving simulator here at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. With simulators, one of the challenges you have is you can't pick it up and move it. So drivers that you have in the experiment are your local drivers, so Madison drivers primarily. And it's important to get a, when you're looking at national research, it's important to get a sampling from all around the country. So what Safer Sim allowed us to do is partner with other like universities that have similar driving simulators, including the University of Iowa, which is the lead agency in Safer Sim, which has the National Advanced Driving Simulator, so the full motion. You've probably seen some of the full bubbles that are moving you know, in those type of situations. But between all of us, we're able then to, to collaborate and collect subject information from around the country to work together. So full driving simulator. And when we talk about a full driving simulator, I have to acknowledge to our audience that you gave me a behind the scenes tour a couple of weeks ago, you and and your colleague, Andy Bill, who's also doing just incredible work and a wonderful person. And so I got to drive the simulator, right? It was really, really cool. If you think this is just like some video game where you're operating a vehicle, it's so much more than that. And all the data that you're able to to gather as an individual is operating that simulator is just absolutely incredible. So thank you for that opportunity, uh, the research you're doing and the collaboration. You mentioned the University of Iowa. By coincidence, I was just there in their engineering program uh, two weeks ago, as a matter of fact, and spent some time. Uh, we're doing a, a robotics program with the University of Iowa. So got to see some of the work that they're doing. So some really, really solid uh, partnerships that you've created. And speaking of partnerships, kind of playing off of that uh, discussion about the University of Iowa, the Safer Sim Center is one of the university transportation centers in the United States. Who are the other UTCs and how does your consortium collaborate on simulation research? Yeah, the the University Transportation Center program came out of federal legislation in the late 80s and created opportunities to have 
a group of universities get together and collaborate on, on specific research topics. And Safer Sim is a child of that program. So we, in our particular case, we, we work with the University of Massachusetts and Amherst. We work with Central Florida University, the University of Puerto Rico and Mayaguez, the University of Iowa and ourselves. And, and certainly when we have other research ideas that come through the program, we will link out to others. Oregon State is an example, and there's others who have driving simulators that we link with. So, you know, it's a wonderful program. The U.S. Department of Transportation continues to support it. Another round of UTCs are coming with a new legislation that's in the process of working its way through the system. So, so we hope to be part of that, and, and many universities are involved, and there's over 30 centers that exist around the country. You know, when we talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning, oftentimes we use the term transfer learning, which is the idea that we can take a machine learning algorithm, if you will, and it can on its own take previous learning and then make connections to what its new learning is really without any human intervention. And in in many ways, the consortium and the relationships that you've been able to build are kind of the human version of that, right? So you're working with other universities across across North America, Puerto Rico, and you know, sharing information, sharing research, building on what each other's learning in the same way that transfer learning builds on in the machine learning world, what it has already learned. So it really is impressive, the quality of the partnerships that you've been able to put together as we continue our discussion with Dr. David Noyce, the Executive Associate Dean of the University of Wisconsin, Madison College of Engineering. I want to turn our discussion now to more partnerships, but in this case, around autonomous transportation, around connected systems. In addition to all these projects that we've already talked about at UW-Madison, your university is also a member of the Wisconsin Connected and Automated Transportation Consortium. Tell us the mission of this organization and how its partners are carrying out that mission, David. I mean, we put together the consortium to begin to bring together people with like interests. And that means beyond just the university and the academics, but thinking about the private sector and those companies in Madison, both public and private, that are interested in the same things we are in advancing autonomous transportation forward. We were designated in one of the previous federal programs as a autonomous vehicle testing facility. And we worked with local agencies here in the Wisconsin area to, to have those facilities available. That program, unfortunately, was put to bed with the change of administration. But we continue the consortium and it's helped us advance some of the ideas and be a a sounding board for for those who are interested, either from a business standpoint, wanting to say what they can do and what we can do to help them grow their ideas, or or the the government, the Wisconsin DOT and others to help them in planning for some of the things that they want to do to move transportation forward. So we have another organization that's kind of followed that, that we call WEACES. And WEACES stands for Automated, Connected, Electric, and Shared Transportation. And then that group is really a continuation of the consortium and continuing to do the things that I mentioned. You know, what can we do collectively to move autonomous transportation forward in Wisconsin? So thinking about how we continue to move autonomous transportation forward in the state of Wisconsin, I now want to turn to a partnership that I referenced briefly in the introduction. And, and really, I don't know if transformative is too strong a word, but it really was a transformative experience for me, having the opportunity to ride in the Badger that is the autonomous vehicle that is driving the streets of Racine. This has been a great partnership between the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Gateway Technical College, the city of Racine, and the initiative centers around this autonomous vehicle called the Badger. And I would love for you, David, to talk a little bit about the Badger, that partnership, 
and where you see this project going? We've been fortunate to have relationships with many communities across the state of Wisconsin. You know, most recently and obviously in our backyard is the city of Madison. And we have worked with the city to put this demonstration project together on, on Park Street, if you're familiar with local streets in the city. And we have a whole bunch of technology that I mentioned going along there. But what that showed us is the value of partnering with local communities and, and, and helping us both move some of their ideas forward, but then helping the communities move some of their ideas forward. And we were very fortunate to find the city receiving and Mayor Mason and his team very interested in becoming, you know, the designation of, of smart cities and well, what can communities do now to advance the things that they need to provide at, as a community or as a municipality and the things that they have to do. So Racine is a very progressive city. Their, their leadership is very progressive and they saw the benefit of partnering with the university and moving forward on some of their ideas that led to the Badger, which is our first on, you know, in-field actual vehicle that, that can operate and move this whole understanding of the world of autonomous transportation forward. And there are just many offshoots that can benefit not only our research, but what the city has in mind and, and certainly happy to, to elaborate on those if you'd like. Go ahead, if you'd care to, to extend that, and we'd love to hear it. Sure. So the, the research questions are endless when it comes to autonomous transportation. There's so many things we need to answer, even though the technology is there and, and it's close, you know, it's not complete. You know, so there's lots of questions that we're going to use the Badger to help us answer. But if you, you want to flip the, the thought process, you know, put yourself in a municipality. And think about all the services, all the features that are expected of a city for, for their citizens, from trash collection to street sweeping to snow plowing as we sit here today and other things along those lines. You know, think if you can automate that. Think if there, those systems can operate in a you know, 24-7, you know, no driver involved and, and so on and so forth to really improve the quality of the systems that are in place to keep a city vibrant. I think that's what Racine is thinking about. I think there's great opportunities for them to lead and show others the benefit of this. And we're hoping to be part of that. And they are indeed leading and showing others how to do this. I'm glad you mentioned Mayor Corey Mason, who in so many ways over the course of the last four or five years in Southeast Wisconsin has been a a leader in the world of technology. And to see a, a city like Racine emerging as a smart city, emerging as somebody that's that's leading in terms of innovation, research attracting employers around this whole idea of technology that doesn't take place without a vision and without an appetite for risk and, and credit to to the mayor and others that are moving that project forward in the city of Racine. Because I think you're exactly right. As we dream about things like autonomous trash collection, autonomous snow plowing, every time we hear examples like that, I just marvel at being able to, to live in a world and during a time when all of this innovation is happening. I don't know that we always give ourselves the credit we deserve as a, as a human race in this time in history for all the amazing things that are happening. Talking about amazing things, you know, your partnership with Gateway Technical College is amazing. Talk to us about partnering with a technical college where student pathways and course focus certainly different from an engineering student going through a university program at the undergraduate or graduate level. Talk to us about partnering with a college, what that means to your research, to the progress that you're making in the world of autonomous vehicles and beyond. There's just a rapid amount of new knowledge that's being developed in this world as we begin to move in this automated vehicle type of way. And, and frankly, we're all learning together. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're, if you're in high school and technical school at the university or, or, you know, in my role as a professor. And this is a wonderful opportunity for, for all of us to work together in, in creating 
not only what the badger will be able to do, but also learning and understanding together, you know, the functions of the data flow, understanding all the sensors and the other pieces of information that are used to collect the data. And maybe even in a more general sense, Matt, we're all going to be part of the workforce of the future that, that's going to be living in this environment of automated vehicles in some way, shape, or form. So in some of the programs that I know Gateway is interested in is, is for those who will be involved in, in building and maintaining and growing all of this technology as it moves forward. The opportunity for the Gateway students to be involved with us, I think, is quite valuable. It's valuable to us as well to work with them. And having that local partner in Racine is very important to us to keep this research moving forward in a, in a very efficient and effective way. You know, it's interesting. I had a meeting with uh, your colleague, Andy Bill, who we mentioned earlier in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and she acknowledged that she was actually on campus at Gateway working on this project. So this isn't just some esoteric idea that you put into a grant to say, hey, we have collaboration. There is true collaboration taking place between the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Gateway Technical College. It's just one example of the many, many partnerships that you've managed to create through the amazing work that you're doing. As we plan for the future, right? Where this is all going is kind of probably, it's it's the most fascinating thing for me, thinking about the future, thinking about predictions, thinking about where we'll be with autonomous vehicles as that technology and machine learning, artificial intelligence, smart sensors, all of these different technologies converge in the world of transportation. As we think about the future, I, I like pointing to one of the things I mentioned this in the introduction, that Elon Musk of Tesla predicts that in 10 years, 10 years from today, and he actually made this prediction in 2021. So think about it. 2031, you won't be able to buy a car that isn't self-driving. That's Elon Musk's prediction. Do you agree? And if so, why? Well, I'm going to give you the shocking answer. And the shocking answer is no, I do not agree. All right. Will the technology be built in in all the vehicles of the future? Absolutely. So let, let me tell you why I said that. Well, what we do know is this. There are a lot of things to learn before we can truly say that our transportation system is going to be operating in a fully autonomous mode in a short of time period as a decade from now. Uh, and why is that? There's a number of things that, that we still don't understand. And you can use you know, the, the common analogy of, you know, it's easy to know the first 95% of things, the last 5% is always the difficult part. And that's kind of where we're at now. When we talk about things, so when we talk about autonomy, you know, not getting too far into the details, but it's something that we call the autonomy stack. And what it simply means, it's a combination of sensors and infrastructure and computer networks and hardware and applications and all these things go together to make this autonomous system work. We understand the bulk of it and we understand how to link all this stuff together. But one of my colleagues here at the university talks about a feasibility domain. And what that means is there's this core part of everything we can understand. But what these vehicles have to be able to do is think like we do you know, and say, here's a unique situation that I've not experienced before. What do I do? Well, for us as human drivers, we can generally build on our past experiences to come up with hopefully a good decision that leads to a a safe outcome. But if the autonomous vehicle has not been trained, you know, and the artificial intelligence and the built-in algorithms in this autonomy stack are not there, we have issues, right? The system doesn't know what to do. So that's what we have to continue to work on. We've all seen the experiences in when something goes wrong with a Tesla, for example, it makes national news, right? So we're still in that that final mode of how do we make sure that this vehicle can solve all those little problems that exist as we do as drivers on a daily basis that 
we really don't even think about just common common nature to our driving behavior. But for an autonomous vehicle, you know, we have to teach it how to think through all of that. We're not there yet. So plenty of work to do yet as we complete this last 5%, you know, the 95% may be being completed. Here's what we're going to do, David. I'm going to put a note in my calendar for, we'll call it March of 2032. And we are going to invite both you and Elon Musk to come back on the Tech Ed Podcast. And we'll talk about which one is right. Those people in our audience who are maybe worried about all cars being self-driving in 10 years, there is hope, according to Dr. David Noyce, at least his prediction, we won't be quite there in 10 years from now, but it won't be due to any lack of research and creativity on the part of him and his team, because as we've talked about, this technology is really moving forward. You, you mentioned in a couple ways, David, the first one is the sensor technology. You talk about the feasibility domain. You also mentioned infrastructure in that last answer. And I think that's part of the aspect of self-driving vehicles and autonomy that maybe people don't think about. You think about the vehicle itself and the sensors and the, the software and the cloud computing and all the things that can go into a self-driving vehicle. But expound a little bit on, on the infrastructure side. What would it take to have an infrastructure that could support all autonomous vehicles? Yeah, there's really two things to think about with that question, Matt. The first one is the infrastructure itself, meaning the technology side of it. You know, so what do we need to be integrated into our infrastructure to support the communication between these automated vehicles? And, and that's part of what we're trying to learn more about when I talk about this Park Street example here in Madison is we call it infrastructure to vehicle communication. You know, how do you do that? What's the latency between information flow? You know, what type of information needs to be provided to the vehicle? And what type of information does the vehicle provide to the infrastructure? to have the safe and efficient operations that we're looking for. So that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it, and something we really haven't talked about yet, is this whole shared mobility topic that, that comes up and say, well, with autonomous vehicles, you know, in, in the world of Uber like we or Lyft, like we experience today, you know, we can have a whole system like that that is essentially running you know, autonomously. So what does that mean? That means you can not own a vehicle any longer. You can simply rely on a subscription to an autonomous system to get you from where you are to wherever you want to go. And with that means the experience that now is, you know, these vehicles need to stop and get you wherever you are and needs to drop you off exactly where you want to be. And I use the, the airport analogy quite often. When you think about when you go to a very busy airport and the taxi is dropping you off, and sometimes vehicles are parked three or four or five wide as everybody tries to squeeze and lets their passengers off as they're trying to get into the terminal. Well, that changes the whole infrastructure vision of how we have to think about designing a roadway, especially in an urban area, where you have a, a large amount of autonomous transportation and a large amount of people movement, where people want to either be picked up or dropped off. You know, so our urban hubs are going to be much different, and we have to think about what the infrastructure is going to be to support that. You know, it's interesting to think about all the different aspects of that and just traveled through the airport last week and enjoyed that experience of the five vehicles wide at the departure spot in the airport. And then thinking about, you know, to your point, how do we make a vehicle think in a way that it can navigate that? And how do we create infrastructure around the way that that works? I would invite any of our listeners who are spending time in Madison to drive down Park Street, which I've done, and some of the research you're doing there really, really interesting work uh, with a really interesting group of engineers. And I want to talk now about that group of engineers to make the future of autonomous transportation come to life. It's going to take a lot of really innovative and creative engineers, you know, the engineers of the future. 
we talk a lot with secondary educators, you know, folks that are in our K-12 districts at the high school level, inspiring young people toward their careers. Just amazing work that so many of our high schools do in helping students think about what they want to do long-term, what they want to do for the future. Engineering should certainly be on their radar. What advice would you have for secondary educators to get students interested in the field of engineering? Engineering itself, if you think about it, you know, if you want to try and define engineering, let's say that, you know, it's using math and science to solve problems, right? It may make society better. So engineering often gets tied, and rightfully so, to the STEM education. And continuing to build and getting our young students involved in STEM-related activities is certainly something that we're interested in. But what we're trying to do as well, Matt, and I'll, I'll use my professional society, the American Society of Civil Engineers, as an example, is you know we're not talking about roadways and bridges and other things that are traditional to civil engineering. We are producing future world vision, 3D movies, and other things to show what the potential is of engineering of the future. In fact, there's an IMAX production underway that will be out next year to show you know, those who may be interested in the civil engineering side of the world, you know, what that might be. So what we have to tell students now is to think big. The world is changing daily as we sit here today, where we have our generation of students coming into the college now that, you know, the first generation that's grown up with a cell phone in their hand, right, for, for, and used to that quick and quick information with a, a quick search on your phone, you can learn most anything in these days, right? So as we talk about Moving forward in that area, and we get into some of the things you mentioned with artificial intelligence and machine learning and robotics, you know, those are all things that students seem to have some interest in today. In, in our world, transportation has a role in all of this. So there's societal impacts, there's grand challenges we need to chase, and I would hope that you know, anybody who is involved in the science and learning side of the world sees the benefit of engineering and all, all the great things that uh, we're going to need to explore as time goes on. You know, I really appreciate the way you started that answer by saying you, engineering is using math and science to solve problems and make society better. And, you know, first of all, I love really, really succinct mission statement. I'm going to use that. That is absolutely perfect. And dissecting that sentence a little bit, obviously math and science, if a student is into, into math, if they enjoy algebra, if they enjoy calculus, or even if they're just getting through it because they want to do something that's interesting on the back end of that process. If you enjoy physics, if you enjoy chemistry, if you enjoy physical science, there are whole career opportunities to, as you put it, use that to solve problems. So if you like puzzles, if you like problems, if you like trying to figure out how to do something better, great careers in engineering, and then the way that you ended that makes society better. And anytime that we can drive what we do back to helping somebody else, you know, here at the Tech Ed Podcast, we talk about securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. In the end, that's why we exist. And the reason that engineering, the reason that research, the reason that all the great things that you're doing in your programs, the reason we do those things ultimately should be to create a better world for ourselves and for everybody else. And just a really, really fantastic way of succinctly explaining the role of an engineer in today and in future society. As you put it, technology continues to evolve and we get more and more fascinating ways to live out our, our world of engineering. So really, really great things in store for the high school students today, many of whom will be the engineers of the future. And I want to end our time today 
with Dr. David Noyce, the Executive Associate Dean of the UW-Madison College of Engineering, by asking you the same question that we pose to all of our guests here on the Tech Ed Podcast. We talked about your advice for educators. Now let's talk about the students. If I'm a high school sophomore and I'm considering my future pathway, and you could give me one piece of advice, Dr. David Noyce, what would that piece of advice be? Well, as a university professor, I get that question quite frequently. So it's, it's certainly one that I can address. Allow me to take a half a step backwards first before I get into that. And that is, we used to tell students, you know, in high school, you know, what type of advice would I give them in order to, to grow into the engineering field? And it was, you know, take as many math classes as you can, right? And learn all the science things, physics and so forth that you can. And, and certainly that's still important today. But one of the interesting things about engineering as we, we sit here today and as it grows is, you know, I'm a civil transportation engineer. When I do my research, I don't work with other civil transportation engineers. I work with mechanical engineers, industrial engineers, and electrical engineers, and so forth. And it's a very collaborative type environment. And in today's world, it's even beyond that. I'm working with computer scientists. I'm working with communication experts. I'm working with human factors experts. And so my point to all that is, explore. So one of the things I tell young students is explore all parts of the education opportunities that you have coming through high school. And yes, do well in your math courses, but take advantage to, to really see because the world is not a single silo anymore. It's exploring with lots of us working together on these topics. So having said that, to really get to your question, there's one fundamental thing that links all of what we're doing moving forward, and that is data, right? The flow of data. You, I challenge you to tell me something that data isn't core to now in, in any of the things that we're working on or talking about here today. So not only just the data and understand the data analytics and, and the systems that support data and these incredibly large data sets that are being formed today that somehow we have to migrate and figure out how to, how to mine the information we're looking for. But the other side of that is the data security and the cybersecurity part of it. And I know that's a question that comes up quite frequently when you talk about autonomous transportation is, you know, how do we prevent somebody from hijacking your vehicle, right? And that's a whole component of, of what we're doing. So understanding data and being part of that, if, if that's all you want to think about, you know, in high school and coming forward, you're going to have a very, very successful career because uh, the, the data is the flow of information of the future. And that's where we are now. You know, it's a great that we ended on that note. We tell people often, if you if you know a young person who is smart, likes math, likes science, is career undecided, there is just an amazing career opportunity in, in every aspect of data. We're almost finishing where we started as we talked earlier in the podcast about the huge value of data and the way that it is affecting every single space within our economy, data, cybersecurity, making sure that students are tied into that. And then using that word that you use, which is explore. And, and I think, you know, there's so many ways we think of exploring in the past and we think about Lewis and Clark or Marquette and Joliet, or maybe the first trip to the moon or, or the first trip to the top of Everest. And really in so many ways, the work that you and your team are doing is exploring. You're exploring the future. You're going where others have not gone before. And we certainly did that today. We covered a whole number of topics, David, that we haven't covered together before. It was a really interesting, I think, discussion that we had. You were the perfect guest on this whole topic of autonomous transportation, traffic, where all this technology is going, the important value and role of data and cybersecurity. Just want to thank you for being really, really thoughtful in your answers and spending some time with us today. Uh, my pleasure. It's nice to be with you. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.